Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Exploring Kodawari. Our guest for this episode was John Thomas Burson, aka JT. He's an excellent trumpet player and a new and upcoming composer currently based in LA. He's a really versatile and well-rounded player, and since I've known him, he's always been the type of musician who puts music and artistic expression first. You can read more of his bio in the episode notes, but more personally, JT was a good friend when we were both in grad school, and we played many concerts together in the past, so it was really great to catch up with him. Especially during these weird coronavirus times, it's good to connect with other musicians who are struggling to get by and struggling to have a hopeful view of the future of music and art. In the episode, we talked about JT's philosophy of practicing and teaching and how he has adapted to musician life during COVID-19. We also talked about his more recent interest in composing music and how he approaches the concept of creativity. You can listen to his music by clicking the links in the episode notes. Oh, and about halfway through the episode, we played a short clip of a new piece he's writing, which actually used a sample of sound from one of our previous episodes. Uh, we, you can click right through to that moment, by the way, with timestamps. We now include timestamps in the episode notes. Some podcast players will allow you to click and arrive right at the moment. Some don't, though, so you can always click through to our website and listen on there as well. Overall, it was a good episode, and it left me with a more hopeful mindset about the future of art, music, and creativity, and how we can adapt to the weird times that we're in. And speaking of adapting, this podcast is my fiance and I's attempt to keep ourselves busy with something positive while our musical endeavors are on pause. So if you're able, please consider supporting us by clicking the support link in the episode notes. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to our PayPal account. Besides the podcast, we're also trying to build a database of articles on the website with the overall theme of staying connected to a larger goal of self-improvement and always being a better human. All right, that's about it. Thanks to JT for coming on. Thanks to you all for listening and enjoy the episode. All right, John Thomas, Burson. Oh, the ferry. Hey, guys. Good (laughs) to see you. Good timing. Uh, Welcome to Exploring Kodawari, man. So excited to be here, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, So, yeah, let's just start. I usually introduce people a little bit, but can you just say who you are, what path you've taken in music, what the hell you've been up to during COVID-19? So, my name's JT. I um, am a classical musician. I uh, know Luke and Yanka both from Stony Brook when I was there in grad school. And, um, you know, like a lot of classical musicians, my path has taken a lot of turns here and there. And when I started at Stony Brook and I met you for the first time, in fact, Luke, the, I think the first time we played together was a Mahler 5, yes, uh, which is yes. a really fun concert. It's really fun to remember that. Yanka, um, were you there at that point? Was, was that a year after I know. I w- I've been there. Since. That was the beginning budding romance of me and Yanka, too. I would say so. We yeah. were always darting eyes across the orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, I remember that concert. And, you know, at that time uh, in my music, you know, journey, I was really thinking that I wanted to play in an orchestra full time, that that's kind of the motivation that I had for most of my school time. And uh, most most of the paths that I was taking, you know, going to festivals and things like that, it was kind of motivated by wanting to win an audition in an orchestra. And um, kind of during my time at Stony Brook, I think what makes Stony Brook great is a a grad 
school is that, you know, people are doing lots of different things. And uh, it was a really good chance to see what I could do in music that maybe I hadn't thought of. And uh, since then, I think I've taken a lot of routes in my career because of that. And uh, the biggest part of it's composition. I've gotten way more into composition in the last, you know, four or five years, and especially in the last year, big time. Uh, but also engineering and engineering aspects of music. You know, I, I didn't really know that there was so much uh, information around, uh, you know, building a recording or building a film score or, or right. any of the uh, digital and, uh, you know, technology elements of music that you might not, you know, cover in school at all. And, uh, you know, over the last year, especially, I think I've been developing a lot of new skills. And, you know, during this time of COVID, it's really a good chance to learn new skills. And that's what I've been trying to do. So totally. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting thing with the, when we started podcasting, I had no knowledge of audio and mixers and what's what with microphones and everything. And considering, you know, how that can be a confusing endeavor, I can't imagine recording an orchestra or doing the kinds of electronic loops and, and, and music composition stuff that you do. We'll get into some of that because we were listening to, uh, what was the track I really liked? Um, well, we'll get into it. I wrote it somewhere down here on my on my to-do list here. Um, but before we get into your uh, composition stuff, uh, I, w- I was wondering, you lived in Georgia, New York, L.A. Did I miss anywhere? Uh, I think that's about it. That, that's, that's about right. What kind of cultural differences or different vibes or whatever, however you want to label it, have you noticed where have you liked living the most? That kind of question, I suppose. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know whether I have a favorite, but I think living in a variety of different places has really helped me grow as a person, which I think is very in line with Kodawari that I think, uh, you know, some of my self-improvement and my, some of my um, maybe the aspects of my personality that I want to grow or develop or in the aspects of my music making, too, I think is very much influenced by where I've lived and the people I've been around. And I, I'm really grateful for that. Um it was definitely a little bit of a culture shock going from Georgia to New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though that was scary at first, I enjoyed that learning process. And I, I enjoyed like, you know, being able to go into the city and experience, you know, different music groups that I, you know, never imagined that I would be hearing. Like, you know, the, one of the first new music concerts I went to, uh, which it was at this place called firehouse space, which I'm pretty sure does not exist anymore. Um, and, uh, I remember going and seeing a bunch of weird music, a bunch of cool music, a bunch of things I really didn't even think could be possible with a live performance, you know, incorporating electronics and uh, spoken word and, you know, collaborations that I thought were weird and unusual, but very cool. And uh, that, you know, seeing that and being around people who were doing that sort of thing inspired me to kind of develop different aspects of my music making. Yeah, yeah. And what about what was the was there a shock from New York to L.A. or did it feel pretty similar? Um, probably a little bit of a shock. Uh, and probably the the biggest part of it was just kind of seeing how the recording industry works a little bit and how the um, music for film and TV is done. And uh, I, I'm not going to you know claim that I know 
you know, even 50% of what there is to know. Um, but I, I've been around a lot of people who have, I've learned a lot from, and I'm really thankful for, for that. And, um, so were you, you know, around that stuff as a player? Like you were playing trumpet in recording sessions for scores and things like I, that? I guess so. I started getting into some uh, recorded music. I, I play with this group called Sunset Boulevard Brass. Mm-hmm. And we do segments in the Late Late Show with James Corden. Oh, right. um, and uh, th- that's been a kind of a big part of, uh, you know, learning how uh, like a a session works and, you know, going in and, and recording a, you know, a a bit of music in the morning and then, you know, doing it live to tape in the afternoon. I had never done anything like that before. And I didn't know that that's the way it was done. Mm -hmm. And, um, then also things like, you know, doing uh, sidelining for commercials. Like I I did a Dos commercial early on and, uh, things like that. I, I just like never expected to be doing that sort of thing. But slowly, I realized that there's so many careers and so many different uh, jobs around this industry. And right. uh, since then, I, you know, I, I've been nothing but interested in learning new skills to, to um, kind of enhance the career I already have. You know, I, I want to learn as many skills as I can so I can work with as many great people as I can. And, and that's, you know, kind of during this period where there's not a lot happening, um, this is a good chance for me to kind of play catch up a little bit. You know, I, I'm learning a lot of audio programs that I hadn't learned in school right. uh, and really very few of the technology aspects I had learned in school at all. So um, it kind of coming at it from a standpoint of being a classical musician and practicing, you know, you know, seven hours a day, but not really thinking about how this translates into, you know, uh, the digital form that, you know, we all exist in now and in, in some form or another. Uh, I, I hadn't really thought about the skills beyond playing my instrument as much. And, and right. that's kind of where, Take where a breath my journey and make is a going sound. Right <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so you're pretty adaptable. I think that's just part of your personality. I think some people who were, let's say, just strictly on the orchestral path when COVID hit, and then they're like, uh-oh, like no auditions to take, <clears throat> no like freelance gigs to be found, no concerts mostly at all, right? There are some... Right. Some online opportunities, but, you know, although I appreciate them, they're mostly pretty lame, you know, like besides like the solo, being able to play solo stuff, it's really hard to collaborate online and have it not sound lame, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It really is. Which says something about our jobs in terms of, it's a good thing, you know, that you like for teaching online, let's say at a university, it translates for a lot of different fields. Not as good, of course, but for music, it's next to useless sometimes. Like to do a private lesson at an advanced level through Zoom, you can chat and and hear some things, but mostly it's just nowhere close to the in-person stuff. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, trumpet, I think, is one of the few instruments that you can really imitate the human voice. And, you know, a lot of trumpet players talk about that, you know, the the best trumpet players use the human voice or great violinist too, as, as an example for kind of their, their sound concept mm. and uh, not being able to hear the, you know, a real trumpet sound, you know, you're hearing it digitized and, you know, delayed through zoom or wherever else. It's a really hard form to improve in, you know, all the subtlety and, uh, is, is gone. Yeah. yeah. Not all of it. Exactly. A, a, a most large, of it. Most, yeah. most of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, Yanka's been teaching a lot through Zoom. Um, I'm teaching some through Zoom. Like, I would say half my students disappeared into the COVID, you know, (laughs) ether. (laughs) The void of COVID. (laughs) Same here. Yes. Maybe they'll come back. I don't know. I don't know if we told you, she she got into New World Symphony, so we'll be moving to Miami at some point. Yeah. Um, Oh, congratulations, Yanka. That's super exciting. Thanks. That's amazing. (laughs) But now New World's trying to figure out how to do this first semester online, Online, and it's kind of like, um, how do you do an orchestral academy online? Online, yeah. (laughs) Right. So we'll we'll be you know it'll we'll be interesting <laughs> to see how how they work that out but um, it's definitely weird times but it's definitely inspiring to uh, to you can either take the path of like let me adapt and just learn new skills and and you know catch up on things that I never would have had time for start podcasts like this one that I never would have done if I did but for the fact that I have all this time right. Um, absolutely so it's it's it can be good if you do it that way certainly my practicing how about you is your practicing um are you like you know below where you were st- hovering the same or you know it kind of depends i um i i try actually you know this kind of goes back to before the virus i um I, I write a lot of notes and reminders to myself ar- around my apartment, and uh, a lot of them are kind of mantras that I think of or meditate on. And one was, um, never pick up your horn without a purpose. Mm. And I, I realized that, you know, preparing for orchestral auditions, that I got far too much of the mind of accurate, perfect, so um, you know, uh, you know, play in a box so I can win this thing. That's kind yes. of the yeah. mindset I was thinking. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I did become a better trumpet player from that, but I don't think I became a better artist from that. Mm. And so um, I, I tr- started to revamp my practice probably, uh, probably January of last year, I kind of started revamping my practice a lot by, um, you know, my warm ups, I didn't pull out, you know, the stamp book, which for non trumpet players is kind of like your stereotypical method book for warm ups and things on the trumpet. And um, I, I kind of ditched that approach a little bit and said, okay, the first notes out of my trumpet every day are going to be, you know, improvisation or something that I want to play, but I'm going to practice it at 50% tempo to warm up mm-hmm. and and things like that. And that kind of changed my approach to the trumpet. So during this time of isolation where we aren't doing concerts or performances, anytime I do pick up my trumpet, I, I try to, you know, put myself in the mindset that th- this does mean something. I'm not preparing for a concert that might not happen. This is for right now. So maybe that means, mm. you know, opening up my window so I can, you know, play for the neighbors a little bit. Or maybe right. that means, you know, I do a collaboration with somebody or or maybe I just say, I- I'm going to improve this one thing about my playing today and be okay with that. And, um, and not kind of go around these different paths and you know, chasing my tail, getting nowhere. I want right. to, you know, always have purpose behind what I'm playing. The, the the whole, um, if I mean, if you could, at the end of a practice day, say, I got better at this one thing, like, that's a celebration. Because often at the end of a practice day, I'm like, I think I got worse. Like, I just feel tension in my body. I'm more frustrated with the instrument and things are less flow and, and good vibes and more just stuckness, you know? Yeah. Um, Right. So I've definitely shifted from when I was in grad school, let's say, I used to never skip a day of practicing. Like, I thought that would just ruin me if I skipped a day of practicing, or if I, like, didn't warm up by 10 a.m., or, you know, these kinds of rules about, like, the technical way of thinking. 
And I've become much more of like a whatever approach to that. If I skip a day, I, I mean, I didn't practice yesterday. I'm sure when I pick up my horn later, I'll think of a beautiful melody I want to play and it will be fine because my mindset is more just not caught up in the details and, and stuff. Um, I think that's a shift that uh, just happens when you get older, I suppose. Mm. Or just maybe yeah, further from school, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, this is not a reflection on any particular school at all or any teachers at all, but it's, it's just that when you're in school, I think it's really hard to see uh, what you can do with your skills and that, you know, acknowledging that we all have lots of different skills. And Luke, I remember taking a little lesson from you uh, on Baroque trumpet and, you know, I completely felt in the out of my room? comfort zone. Uh, yes. In the oatmeal room. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but was, you know, folks, it's like, home, that's a room at our, uh, at our university that <laughs> w- would you say that's like asbestos or whatever was covering the scene? No. What, it was just like sound absorbing yeah, weird material. Looked like it looked like the walls <laughs> and the ceiling were covered in oatmeal. So it became known as the oatmeal room. Anyways, go on. <laughs> right. No, I, I just think, you know, in school, um, we don't do enough of just exploring different paths and seeing where they lead and, and not necessarily caring whether they're going anywhere right now. Because I, I thought, you know, maybe learning a little bit, a bit uh, excuse me, a little bit of Baroque trumpet would, you know, that, that could be come part of my, you know, recital, or I could do something with this. And then I acknowledge that maybe, you know, I have other skills that are better suited for what I want to do. Maybe that's not me. And being okay with that, or, or, you know, the same thing with orchestral stuff, it's that, you know, I I do love playing an orchestra, and I do love, you know, um, playing with great orchestral musicians. But at the same time, I kind of love playing in a big band, I kind of love making my own music, I love, you know, playing trumpet duets. So it doesn't really bother me that, the skills that I'm quote unquote trained for aren't the skills that I'm using 24 seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I think within the orchestral world, you got like a selection pressure of, of, you know, it, it selected for people who had more of the technical mindset and have more of that boxed in like perfection, which is impressive. It doesn't mean they can't be artistic or any of that stuff, but I think personalities like ours tend to want to, get more varied experience, put our tendrils out there and feel around for new cool things, you know, always challenge yourself. So if you're in an orchestra career for 30 years, you you start to get the same things come up over and over. And yes, it's challenging, but Mm -hmm. it's not like novelty level challenging, right? Yeah. Also, even the preparation, like all those excerpts and everything, like trying to box yourself in, as you said, I don't know, it just starts to backlash on me. Like, the more I try to aim for perfection, it just starts to sound less and less, like, more and more calculated. And then it just, like, takes away the meaning. There's no music anymore. I can't really hear anything else that's going on in that piece. Like, you know, the orchestra, any other instruments, I just, like, hear my notes, you know? Like, it's just takes away from the inspiration so much, I think. There's a weird balance, though. I was talking to my friend, um, we were texting about Bach, and um, I, th- I think I sent a, a, a movement of the Bach Collegium Japan recording of Cantata 172, I think. And, um, and then he was like, oh, that's really great. And I was like, yeah, except when, when I played it once, like the timpani player was blah, 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 like just not really doing their job, let's say, or whatever. 
And he made a comment, something like, but even mediocre playing in Bach is still like transcendent, something to that effect. And I, it made me think like, if that's true or not, like what's the relationship between the, the sort of skill or professionalism versus the art? And like, where is that fine line? Because what we're saying now is that if you maximize perfection of the technique, you sort of lose some of the art. And so, but mm. at the same time, if you have zero technique, then what is that, right? Like, mm. so if there's no sense of standard or, um, you know, high level playing when I'm listening to Bach, I also sort of get, I forget about the art. I forget about the music or the religious type of experience. And I'm more like, oh, it's out of tune. Oh, they're not together. Oh, you know, the sopranos suck or whatever. <laughs> Um, right. So there's some kind of balance. I still haven't quite figured out exactly what that is. But I think what we're all agreeing on is that from the performer's perspective, thinking about aiming at the perfect technique doesn't get you to a good place. Mentally, mm. for sure, it doesn't, <laughs> I think. It takes some of the fun out of it, I think. Yeah. Um, it takes some of the enjoyment of the audience because although they might enjoy seeing the spectacle of like a show-off perfect technique, you know, like a showpiece, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's not the deepest reasons that move people in music or that got us to want to pursue music in the first place. How long were you pursuing music? Were you, was that from childhood or, or was that like a later in life decision? Um, you know, it was pretty early on. The, the first person who, um, well, a couple people really, the, the, the first person who inspired me to pick up an instrument was my elementary school music teacher. Uh, David Boggs was his name. And I, uh, I, I still need to catch up with him after all these years. So, I, you know, I remember him. Uh, he had come into school and, you know, there really wasn't much of a music class before that. And he came in and just brought a bunch of xylophones and keyboards and just let us play them, you know, mm -hmm. not much of a, uh, you know, structure to it at all. And I wanted to take piano lessons after that, because of that. And um, it was kind of that, you know, pure creativity, creativity, you know, that there was no um, structure at the beginning, but just, you know, letting everybody explore sounds and be interested in making sound. And yeah. th that was really inspiring to me. And since then, um, well, I guess, you know, soon after that, I, I, I found my dad's cornet and my dad played cornet in, in, uh, in high school. And uh, I started taking the cornet to piano lessons. And I knew that's when I should start playing trumpet and not maybe piano. Uh, but uh -huh. I am thankful for all those years playing piano too. Uh, anyway, but you know, from from then on out, I, I knew I wanted to be a musician. You know, th there was no doubt in my mind. And at the beginning of the virus, I have to be honest, like, I, I was like, is anyone going to be able to have a career in music after this? And I just was really depressed about it, you know, and I was like, you know, how is anyone going to have a career after this? And, you know, having time to kind of meditate on it and think about what music really is it was no question in my mind that I want to find a way to continue in music. Yeah. There, there's no, you know, and I, I realized that I need it as much as the people I play for do, you know, and regardless whether people enjoy listening to me play or perform my music, I, I recognize that it's an important part of my life that makes me a better person and a more thoughtful uh, citizen, you know, and I, I think that's why, I continue to pursue music and I, you know, I think the idea of Kodawari is that you will never get there. You're working toward perfection, but you will never get there. And for me, it's just like music 
it's not work, you know, even though you get paid for it sometimes, you know, it's, it's not work to me at all. Even the, you know, non-creative aspects of it, you know, whether it's, you know, like looking at a film score and, you know, blocking off different, uh, different sections of it to do licensing of it, you know, like that might kind of seem tedious to a lot of people, but it's actually part of enabling somebody else's creativity in music. Yeah. You have uh, that bigger picture. That's what I enjoy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you know what you're aiming at in the larger sense, all those like nitty gritty details are are just part of that, right? I forget the quote Absolutely. I heard just the other day on a podcast. It was something like, "Oh, is the Jan Eleven? She's mm-hmm. an astrophysicist, and her quote was something like, um, "Life is not a, a path filled with struggles; it is the struggle." Oh, yeah. Like, something true. like that. She said it mm-hmm. more poetically, but. Um, <laughs> It's sort of like when I'm in a moment like that, practicing a, a really hard piece, I'll feel the frustration, like, can I just be done with the hard work part and be know the piece? And then I'll remember, no, 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 this is the path, is the the struggle of learning a piece and the growth that happens by doing that, right? You said in the very beginning that you like to challenge yourself by moving to new locations or trying new experiences, learning how to use new electronic music stuff or whatever the thing is, learning a new language. I just think it, I love the kind of people who like to throw challenges at themselves because they know that they'll meet those challenges and then grow, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, so what about with teaching? Um, have, you, have you done a lot of teaching, uh, private lessons or otherwise master classes? Like what's your relationship with teaching been? Uh, so I was doing a fair amount of private teaching uh, really before the virus. I, I do have some online students right now, which I desperately want to get back to in person when it's safe. But, um, the, you know, the I, I've had a good studio of students at uh, South Pasadena Music Center is where I teach. And um, I've also done some classroom teaching around L.A., which has been very rewarding. In fact, um, uh, one of my trumpet classes this past year, uh, I had just kind of gotten frustrated with some of these band books that we have that, you know, to teach, you know, classroom lessons. Some and of them are so I, lame, aren't they? Exactly. And actually, one of the students told me, I was like, is there anything in this book written more recently than 50 years ago? And I'm like, probably not. And there's probably not anything written more recently than like 150 years ago. So yeah. Um, anyway, I started doing some arrangements for my class and doing some backing tracks for them to practice with. And honestly, that helped me learn technology more, you know, with, you know, recording and, and, and mixing and things like that, putting together backing tracks or uh, things that they could use for a concert, that that was uh, kind of a little bit of a window into building more skills. So even though, you know, it seemed like, you know, okay, I'm getting paid this amount to teach this lesson. It's right. actually more than that. You know, I can create some amazing tools for these kids to use, but at the same time, I'm building more skills too, and I'm, I'm becoming a better teacher in the process. So it's like a never-ending cycle. And, and you never uh, know where it's going to really enjoy that. end up, right? Like you could compile all of those arrangements and backing tracks and come out with a book that someone like me would <laughs> buy for their students because, yeah, I'm totally bored with the kinds of books that just for people that aren't, you know, musicians or music teachers, a lot of the times we don't get to really choose what the students are working on because someone else has given them a book, let's say from their school, and you're not their like main vibe, like they're kind of checking in with you for lessons and you're just kind of helping out 
as far as the parents know, they hired you as a teacher to help out their kid do better in band because maybe the band teacher wrote home and said, little Bobby's like really not doing well or something. So it's usually these boring, boring books with no, like the, the, the musicality is not really musicality, it's musicianship. It's like, this is piano, this is forte, this is getting louder, this is getting softer, this is a short note, this is a long note. I like the distinction between musicianship, like the skills of how to be musical versus musicality itself, which is something, you know, more ethereal. You can't quite just define it with like, oh, this is staccato versus legato or loud, soft, whatever the, the thing is. Um, all of those books seem to miss that thread. I'm not saying it's easy to do. I've never tried it, but are you thinking of making it into a book sometime? You know, potentially, and I do have a Google Drive folder that, Luke, I'd happily share with you and your students. I, I've just been recording a bunch of duets and, you know, so, something for them to practice with uh -huh. other than, you know, just listening to the same sound in the same room again and again. Um, and, you know, sometimes if they ask me for a solo or something, I I work on that specific solo. Like mm -hmm. uh, I had one student who wanted to learn uh, the the film score from Chinatown, an adult student, I should say. Um, and he, he really liked Jerry Goldsmith and a lot of great film music and a lot of great movies done by Jerry Goldsmith. And I just did a little arrangement of Chinatown with a backing track and sent it to him. And even though it spent me like, excuse me, it, it took me like two hours to put that together. You know, I got better as a trumpet player and as a teacher, and it helped him, you know, grow as a student, too. Uh, so absolutely. The short answer is, yes, I, I'm looking to uh, maybe compile those in some form in the near future. I think that would be a great idea, especially now. Like, you know, those books that do come with um, like CDs in the back and everyone's like, I don't have any way to play this CD. <laughs> like, right, right. <laughs> like CDs are, are when I was growing up, cassette tapes were one thing. And now CDs are what cassette tapes mm -hmm. were. Nobody really, unless you have like a, the equipment, if you happen to have it, nobody can mm -hmm. play a CD. I mean, this very laptop we're zooming on right now doesn't have a CD insert, whatever you would call it. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, same here. Actually, I, I lost my CD drive a while back. So if I ever need to do anything with the CD, I guess I have to get a new one. So Compact um. disc. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would you say is like your main mission? when you think of yourself as a music teacher? Uh, as a music teacher, I'm trying to find a way for music to be part of the student's life, whether that's, you know, pursuing music professionally or just having music be part of their life in a meaningful way. And I think, you know, I, when I first started teaching, I was, you know, basically what we were just talking about, you know, notes and rhythms and things like that those are kind of meaningless in the grand scheme of things. M maybe that would help somebody win an audition or something like that. But at the end of the day, music should just be part of their life and it should be something that they enjoy doing. And e even if that's not playing trumpet, you know, if I find a way for them to um, become fascinated in certain kinds of music because they learned trumpet in my class, you know, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, looking ahead in the future, like I, I don't expect a lot of my students to pursue music as a profession. And, and, and actually I, I, music is not 
beholden to anyone to make money. You know, and any art form, I don't think it's beholden to anyone to make money. I, I think in its purest form, it's it's sincere and meaningful. And whether you make money on that or not is another thing. But yeah. I, I think um, the power of music goes far beyond any market or any time and place. And uh, I, I really, you know, there are a couple of people that are really inspiring to me. One is Justin Vernon uh, from Bon Iver. Um, he talks about that we really are only beginning to understand what music is. You know, like, what in the world is music? And you could slap any definition you want to on it. But I, I think the um, healing power of it, the uh, emotional connection of it, the power for it to, you know, bridge divides, historically, that has been shown to be extremely powerful, in, you know, in the world of music. And I, I think... Um, we're only beginning to understand what that means, you know, like 500 years from now, who knows? Like, I mean, yeah. the, the, the past that we could take, you know, and, and so I, I think at the end of the day, when I teach, I'm just trying to inspire that person to have a fascination in music. And if I can give them some skills to um, let them go on their own journey with it, then that's successful in my mind. Yeah. I think people often don't, they just have to tune into the right, frequency, metaphoric frequency, um, to realize how meaningful music is. And sometimes as a musician, I'm not even tuned into that frequency. And, you know, I'm, I'm on a walk and Brahms Violin Concerto will come on and I'm like, eh, whatever, and I hit skip or something. <laughs> and then like last night, I'm, um, I went out at dusk and it's like the stars are coming out. I see Jupiter and Saturn and the Brahms Violin Concerto is playing in my headphones and and it just like struck me, you know, and I'm like, this is like a deep, deep story. I can't quite articulate in words what it's about, but it makes sense, you know. And I think that the fact that I'm a trained musician and I can have the experience of the music feeling meaningless in a moment and then in another moment when I'm, I don't know, more mindful or just ready to hear it, it just strikes me. I think you just need to figure out as an educator how to how to get people to have those moments, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times um, when I do classroom teaching, I just start off the day with playing something I like to listen to as they come in, you know, and sit down and unpack and everything. And uh, I know a lot of them are totally disinterested in what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. And then other days, it's the complete opposite, right? But, you know, I I'm just trying to um, at least put a uh, vision there for, for them to see later on to say, you know, I kind of remember that music, you know, from Mr. B's class way back, you know, and that that's, that's really all you can do. I think as a teacher is, is to inspire in the moment and, uh, and hope that they will remember that. that, that, that is definitely true for me. And actually um, Luke and I have a teacher that we, we both worked with um, Kevin Kopp, really amazing trumpet player in the American brass quintet. And, he was encouraging to me in Stony Brook about pursuing different things that I really kind of almost dismissed at the beginning, you know, and I remember one of the first um, formal compositions, loosely speaking, that I did was when I was at Stony Brook with Kevin and I put together this piece, uh, kind of a meditation on Robert Frost. And I, I gave a TED talk on it when they had a TEDx event at Stony Brook. But I remember when I was getting ready for that with Kevin, um, 
he was very encouraging saying, this is what you should do. You're, you, you have a talent for this. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it didn't matter whether I was any good. You know, at the time, he inspired me. And now, like, you know, five years later, I can look back and say, hey, you know, that kind of started the ball rolling on something that I didn't think was possible. And so I, I try to think, you know, into the future with the students I teach that, you know, even though it only seems like you're doing something now in the moment, it, it is going to lead to something amazing down the road, I hope. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big part of teaching. I think Kevin is really great at, at spotting your potential. And then kind of helping you get the uh, the kindling going in that area. Because a lot of times if you feel like you have a slight interest towards something, the the internal voice that says like, oh, you're that's just a stupid idea. Don't do that. You'll look stupid. You know, the inner critic. Um, right. And you need somebody else's encouragement to to not listen to that voice. Because it is good to listen to that voice sometimes. I guess so. But yeah, definitely. not all the sure. time, but sometimes you might have a stupid idea. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was the same way with me and, and Baroque stuff. Like whenever I would talk about it, he's like, oh, your eyes light up whenever you're talking about Baroque music. And whenever you're preparing for an orchestral audition of some kind, you, <laughs> you're much less lit up, right? <laughs> and I was like, okay, so yeah, I probably secretly hate that (laughs) um i mean like i just happened to watch on youtube yesterday i was sending a student a video i made for teaching and i saw an old audition tape that i uploaded to youtube on like an unlisted thing of i don't even remember what it was for and just the way i walked onto the camera and just introduced myself and my posture was all closed and my voice was all depressed sounding just I think in that mindset, there was no sense of like, you know, this bigger, like what you're talking about and trying to inspire in students, like the the magical bigger picture thing of music. Well, it's it's like, you know, and I I I don't connect to that person almost at all now. And when I play Baroque trumpet, I sort of don't think technically like that because every time I do, it doesn't work anyways. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's something there. Um, and I would agree with you that lighting the spark inside your students is the best thing you can do because then they'll do the rest of the work for you, you know? Uh, absolutely, yeah. The, the sort of spark of inspiration that makes them curious, wanting to practice. They bring you things, right? Oh, I listened to this YouTube video instead of how it normally goes where I give them a YouTube video to listen to, ask them if they listen to it, and they're like, oh, oh, I forgot about that, you know? Um, (laughs) So sometimes it just takes a totally weird, different approach. Sometimes I don't even talk about music to students, and I just try to see if they'll get excited about anything. (laughs) Because sometimes they just don't know how to be excited, you know, how to be passionate about something. And there's always going to be some topic that will sort of get them to perk up a little bit, and then you go with that, and you... Partially, it's like outside of music, you're just helping them develop their personality and to to realize it's like not uncool to be smart and to go after something, you know? Absolutely, Um, yes. Music or not, like like you said, most of our students won't go into music. Maybe most of them shouldn't, right? (laughs) Right. Maybe we shouldn't have. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's more of like how can how can the the perspective of music education still affect people, even if they're in financing or whatever else, right? 
Absolutely. All right. So let's get to some of your compositions. Can you tell us, like, I know you obviously just said the TEDx talk, and but like, um, was there a moment where you're like, all right, I'm going to devote more of my time towards writing music? Was it because of COVID or was it earlier than that? Uh, well, you know, I will say I had the privilege of starting to work a little bit with the composer Tim Jones back in, I guess, February. And um, uh, I've done some, I haven't composed with him or anything, but I've had the chance to watch him compose and work with him as an assistant. And I've I, a lot of uh, what I'm doing right now is kind of drawing inspiration from him because I, I've learned a lot of things about composition by seeing him work mm-hmm. and being his assistant. And, um, you know, that was kind of a start of like a lot of the music technology things that I'm doing now. Um, I did start doing more composition. Um, I, I was going to perform just before COVID uh, one of my pieces that I actually did at Stony Brook called Time Loops. I was going to perform it in Chicago uh, in March. And um, it, it was kind of funny how that happened because it was one of the first pieces I had put together like that, doing some uh, looping on the trumpet and to basically solo over some textures that I had built up with the trumpet, entirely done with the acoustic sound of the trumpet, you know, no other processing or anything like that, just, mm-hmm. you know, looping and then soloing. And I had let that piece just kind of exist online. And uh, Fulcrum Point, uh, Stephen Burns reached out to me and offered to have me play this in Chicago. And I, I was like, I, I don't think I'm really a composer. And I, I took a step back and I was like, but you are, you, you made some music that hadn't existed yeah, before. Yeah. That's so that, that inner was the critic first thing, time. right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, it was one of the first times that I thought of myself as a composer and it's still weird to me. Like I, you know, I changed my email byline, you know, trumpeter composer. And I'm like, it still doesn't feel, <laughs> it doesn't sit quite right with me, but you change it. Then really you're like, eh, maybe I should change it right back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I I just like making sounds and I like, uh, helping other people enable their creativity. So whether that's, you know, uh, being a mixing engineer or doing music editing type work, um, that I, I really find enjoyment in doing that. Actually, I did prepare a little 20 second demonstration that I'd like to do for you guys today. Oh, do it. Um, and so I'm going to drop to you here. This is about a 20 second track here. And I'm going to let you just listen to it first. And then there's a second file that I'm going to send you that um, that I think you're going to find interesting. So here we go. All right. So tell us about this first one we're about to play. Or do you want us just to play it first? Go ahead and just listen to it first. Actually, go ahead and listen to the, the, the clip first and then listen to the second. And then I, I think you will quickly see where we're going with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was the first clip, and now play the sample source. Uh, yes. I'll kind of take my coffee cup, and I'll accidentally, with you know, my little coffee stick, go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what I I made an instrument with Nathan's 
tapping on the coffee cup. So if people don't know or haven't heard the the, the earlier episodes, uh, composer Nathan Hudson was on uh, early on in the podcast, and I, li- I listened to him talk about his music, and he was demonstrating kind of everyday sounds, you know, talking about uh, different sounds you hear and how that segues into making music. And he taps on his coffee cup on the podcast. So what I did is I took that audio file of him tapping on the coffee cup and the chimes that you hear, which is the ostinato, the continuous rhythm in the background, Mm -hmm. that is that sound. So I I made it into a sample and and made an instrument out of it. The, The cool part about it, in my opinion, is that there aren't any other instruments in there that I downloaded or got from anywhere else. It's all samples I made with my trumpet piano um some of the percussion sounds are me tapping on a harmon mute and uh i built all those sounds myself on logic and kind of let me segue this conversation into like the technology is really an equalizer you know it gives people tools to do what they want with the sounds they hear and you know you might say okay how can you create like amazing music without a fancy instrument or, you know, any of these things? Well, with a laptop and some uh, basic or free programs in many cases, you can make a lot of really cool music. And uh, so I've kind of gone down uh, the rabbit hole a little bit, exploring samples and exploring different sounds. And uh, especially in the film score world, there are so many different sounds that people uh, create that are totally unique. And I I think that is part of uh, our future in music that, you know, uh, combining uh, sampled instruments with live instruments and, and building patches that can be used in live performance and live performance. I think that's a, a big, uh, part of our, our future as, as makers of sound. Can we, I'm going to play that, that, the, the other, you know, the first clip one more time. So, um, you said you have, um, trumpet piano and some percussion stuff with your metal mutes at home. And then you uh, use yes. this. I, th- I think the sound Nathan made in that episode was just him hitting a wooden spoon on his coffee cup, right? I think so. I think so. Okay. And I, I think I know which spoon he used. It was a simply, simply pressed coffee, coffee spoon, which I have too. It's a beautiful <laughs> spoon. <laughs> All right. So here's the clip one more time. That's cool. Really if you cool. asked me in the beginning, uh, on, on the first listen, I would not have guessed that that's Nathan Hudson using a <laughs> coffee cup from our ec- episode of Exploring Kodawari. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I don't claim to be a master at making samples or anything like that, but it, it is a skill that I've learned in the last year that I didn't really understand at all to begin with. And um, there are also so many different sounds that I think have yet to be heard. And it kind of gets back to my point that uh, we still don't really know what music is or what it can do. I think the the power of music is we're only seeing like 10% of it right now. And I, Mm -hmm. I think especially as we are slowly able to do concerts again and do live performances again, I think, um, you know, using 
uh, technology as as kind of a starting point for for making new music is a big part of what we can do. And actually, some of the uh, th- this is a track that I'm working on right now uh, that I have a trombone player and a trumpet player that are, are working with me, to, and we're going to record some brass parts over this. Uh, so it's it's only kind of like the starting point for making something bigger, right? And you can layer things, right? So you you. You start with, I guess my question might be, what's your starting point for something like that? Was it, in this case, was it the the coffee cup sound? And you just thought, let me just show, like I can incorporate this into um, a piece and and you're going to see where it goes. Like when you first embark on trying to create a new um, piece like this, is it it more of like you see the, the fuzzy big picture in your head or are you just kind of exploring and seeing what happens and turning back a little bit going a different direction turning back like you know or both maybe well that's a good question i i think um seeing some professional composers work uh and trying to you know get my skills in a place that maybe one day i could you know be a professional composer quote unquote for whatever that means um you know a lot of people use their digital audio workstation as kind of a working template for creating whatever they want to. And it's kind of like, you know, it's an interface problem. It's like, you know, you hear a sound in your head and you want to make it. And and how are you going to get that sound from your head into somebody else's ears? And um, the great thing about having audio files in a digital form allows you to move them around and you, you can you know, save 10 different versions and make them totally different and then right. pick your favorite one or pick different aspects of them. And, uh, you know, I, I, I listen to music with as open of an ear as I can. Actually, um, kind of deviating a little bit from the technology aspect of this is that I've realized how hard it is to not be influenced by the music we listen to. I mean, it's a great thing to be influenced by the music we listen to, right? But, you know, to sit down with a a blank page or a blank screen in the computer and say, I'm going to create a piece totally from scratch, that's really hard to truly make it from scratch because we have so many different influences and different ideas in your head. And so I I think um, I, I really didn't do any type of meditation until about a year and a half ago. And taking time every day to to actually meditate is actually very helpful for having like a clean slate as a musician and as a composer. Um, Another thing that, again, like a little bit of a weird tangent, but um, I started doing sensory deprivation therapy in October. And uh, doing that, like I'm, my brain is often very chaotic and I often have trouble focusing on one thing and, or sitting down for two hours and, and actually, uh, you know, getting focused work done. And I started realizing that um, if you do allow yourself to start with a blank slate and really clear your thoughts and and really be mindful, um, you can make some sounds and some ideas that you didn't realize that you had. And and, uh, that's been a big part, I think, of my journey through composition. Like you clear out those preconceived everything um, I, I know what you mean. Like sometimes I've been doing a lot of writing over the past year, not music, but like articles and stuff. And it's a really intimidating feeling when you see the cursor, you know, blinking at you with nothing there yet. And sometimes, you know, you write a sentence and you're like, was that me? Are those my words? Are, are, are they, were, were they put in there from some memory? I can't quite remember, you know? Um, 
And then I might even like look up a sentence phrase and be like, did somebody else say this? And, and I forgot who said it, but I'm just stealing their idea. You know, it's very right. hard to know, or maybe there is no such thing as an original idea. I mean, there's no fully original idea. We're all programmed with all the stuff from our ancestors. I mean, we're speaking English. We didn't invent that, right? Right, right. I, w I stayed with uh, Nathan down in Georgia for a week, and I started saying y'all, you know, like we're just influenced by what's around us. Um, I'm sure, Yanka, your accent, <laughs> she's very adaptable. You know, English is newer, so I'm sure her accent would change if we move, well, if and when we move to a different place in the country, you know, like you just absorb things from your environment and they become part of your process. It's funny you mentioned sensory deprivation tank. Yanka got me a session in one of those for um, Christmas. Yeah, I guess. So. And um, I still haven't tried it because, you know, you know, I, I was <laughs> about to and then COVID hit and I'm like, I'm not going to get right. into a salty hot bath <laughs> while there's a virus right, going right. around. <laughs> yeah. um, but I still have the gift certificate, so I'll probably go at some point. Um, so you go on the regular to the de deprivation tanks? You know, I, I was before the virus and I hadn't been, you know, since March. And I, I'm actually, you know, this time of ice, of social isolation, it is kind of easier to feel like you are away. And I, I feel like I can access kind of that blank slate that I can get to in the tank. But uh, when I first started doing it, I was going about every two weeks. And um, the first couple times it was extremely difficult to not just go around in loops to, you know, be, you know, have a, an idea that I just could not get out of my head. And I remember it was the third or fourth time I went, I was able to really just kind of let everything sit and mm. actually just be still. And you arrived. Uh, exactly. And, and you know, I, I often would go like, you know, at 6 p.m. and I would g go back to my apartment and I would just write music until midnight or later. And and mm -hmm. doing that uh, yeah. was, I mean, it was a healing experience for me because it, it's like um, it, it, we're often just too bombarded by our phones and things we see around us. Or if you live in a city, you know, there's so much going on. And uh, to really kind of look inward, at least for, you know, a number of hours and say, you know, what can I do to improve myself? What can I do to um, kind of take a step back and 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 see myself for for what I'm doing and who I am? That, that I think it's really healthy, and I, I think it's helped me work through a lot of things, uh, and uh, you know, both you know, as a human and as a musician. So yeah, highly recommend it. I think what you're talking about getting into from the float tank, besides kind of a mindfulness type of thing, is also a flow state, right? Would you say that? Um, in those moments where you sit down to write something and it's just not working, it feels the opposite of whatever flow is. And then when you do sit down, and I have this experience, I, I've found personally that if I get myself up really early in the morning and I know, you know, we live in a small apartment, but I know she's going to sleep till nine or 10 and I get up at like 6.30 or seven, I can get like two to three hours of writing something and write like 3000 words and I don't know exactly um, how I did it, and I, I lose sense of time passing. So it was 7 a.m., I make the coffee, and all of a sudden, next time I look to check the clock, it's 8.45. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, where did that time go? But then I'm like, oh, look, I have 2,000 words written here. And hey, I kind of like these ideas. I, I, didn't see, I didn't see it going in that direction, but 
there it went. You know, I had a plan to write with this. And then as you're writing, you just sort of go with the flow, right? Right, right. Have you ever heard of- Yeah, I love it when that happens when you can lose track of time and then you realize how late it's gotten after. I love that. Oh, totally. And I, I, I guess it sounds like you, you got into the later night vibe where, I mean- you can realize it's two in the morning because you're never going to be late for something if you do that. At some point, you'll realize I didn't go to bed. But <laughs> right, right. And I have done that. I, I have worked on a piece all night before. Actually, uh, kind of a side note, I, I was just looking for projects at the beginning of COVID. You know, like I, I didn't really have anything on my calendar, just kind of dropped off. And I was just teaching lessons, basically. And I was just kind of looking for a project to keep me motivated. And um, the, the folks at uh, Spitfire Audio at the company in the in the UK hosted a competition where you scored a scene from Westworld, the HBO show. Oh, we show. just watched that this yes. morning. I was going through your YouTube oh, you channel did? showing her mm-hmm. some stuff. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, well, cool. Well, uh, you know, I, I didn't win the competition, but that was not not the point of me entering at all. It was just yeah. that it was doing something totally out of my comfort zone that I had never done before. I mean, scoring yeah, the picture is, a little is bit. very different. Um, I- explain what the competition was, or, or yeah, scoring and the like, picture and or, just roughly like for non musicians, what what you what you did to to make that happen. Okay, so um, y- you know um. Very rarely do do people experience a film or TV show where there's no music. You know, very rarely can you see a show where all the music's gone. And um, as a film composer or a TV composer, what people have to do is they have to look at a director's cut of a of a picture and write music to it from basically a blank slate. You know, of course, there might be some conversations about like, I want this type of vibe on my film score or things like that. But basically, you're starting f- from nothing other than what you see on the screen and what the story is. And it's much different than, you know, being like a classical composer or, you know, a singer songwriter where, you know, you, you have an open, open, uh, template to write whatever you want and you can let it go wherever it, it will. But with film and TV, you have to kind of write within the constraints of what you see on the screen and what the story is. And your job as a composer and that medium is to enhance that action in some way. So, um, this competition that was hosted back in, uh, I guess, uh, May, I guess is when it started. Um, you know, it was the first chance I had to get like a four minute clip that of very professional, you know, cinematography and like a very, uh, expensive show for lack of a better word and try to write music for it. And what I did is like, I, I knew I probably wouldn't win because I, you know, I'd never done any scoring to picture before, but I was like, let me block out any influences for, uh, the way I might want to win this thing. Like, you know, I, I could watch right. the show and listen to the composer and try to like write in a style that they might like. But I was like, I want the experience of going from nothing and, and imagining that I am the composer and have to write for this scene. And it was much more difficult than I ever expected. And I, I worked for way longer than I care to admit on it. But, you know, and I had like, you know, probably like 30 different versions of it. And then, you know, different versions within that. And, I you know, I still, I could go back and watch it and probably not be happy with, you know, 80% of it. But that's not yeah. the point. It's like, I grew through that process of, of, you know, doing something that was completely out of my comfort zone. And now the the pieces that I'm working on, like you, what you just heard with Nathan Sample and what I'm working on right now is, is those skills come from me being able to spend time and, and get out of my comfort zone and something like that. Totally. 
It's funny you say this was one of the questions I had um, written down to ask you about creativity. And it's have you heard of the concept of constrained creativity? I I guess I've heard that term in different forms, but but kind of explain what what you mean by that. So the 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 idea would be basically what you just said about doing this Westworld competition and the fact that you're scoring for a very specific scene that's already laid out, that's your constraints. And it's the constrained creativity is the idea that the birth of creativity is the constraints. If you have no constraints, Mm -hmm. there's no path that is to be taken. Like everything is every, you have everything and nothing, right? So within tonal music, you know, if you're Mahler and you're writing a symphony, your constraints are the language of tonal music that you exist in. And then sometimes you, you know, create new paradigms and, and new you break down boundaries and that's what's interesting. But there's always some constraint, whether it's time or fitting a um the specifics of, of a TV show or a movie scene, right? And it's it's within those constraints that you have to find solutions to make it work. And those solutions are the birth of creativity. Um, I don't know. Is, do you see creativity that way? or No, I think that makes total sense. And I, I definitely feel like that's um, a big part of my growth as a composer. You know, I, and I, um, well, even like that track we listened to earlier, it's like I, I did want to include Nathan's sample. And I that was the one instrument I wasn't going to take away. Mm-hmm. And uh, that did force me to make some decisions. And, and right. I, I do feel like the great part of knowing technology is that, you know, the first time I started composing on a computer, I, I just got frustrated with, you know, the routing of it and like how to record it and things like that. But, you know, after spending enough time with it, I would walk away from the computer and I would try to be sorting out a musical problem rather than a technology problem. Mm-hmm. And the, I, I, I enjoy that. You know, I, I'd rather have that issue and, and have like that constraint of, you know, being able to only use a certain instrument or have to, uh, you know, fit the length of this scene in a movie or something that I do enjoy. I think you're right that creativity does often come from constraint. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And even we we mentioned this, even though we didn't explicitly label it as this, you were talking about learning a violin concerto and that, you know, we have constraints of we have to play the notes and the rhythms more or less. Yet, how do we be creative and musical on top of that, that your constraint is whatever it is. If you're improvising in jazz, then you have less constraints in terms of what notes and rhythms you play but you have still have some constraints. Um, and if you were to wander and, and be creative without any constraints, I'm not even sure what that would be exactly. Um, I mean, is it expressive for me to just go on stage and like scream and twist my body and, you mm. know. Where do you draw the line? Like right. Like in contemporary music even. Like what is right. too much? When do you lose the, what you're targeting at? Like the audience or anyone? Oh, what was the thing you you mentioned the other day? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone wrong is going to listen to this, so I'm a little hesitant, but did, there was this like tempo marking in one of We the were talking about that. like contemporary music and how sometimes <laughs> like um it, it the, the 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 ways that they try to be creative are just uh, missing the point, let's say. I don't know what read what you uh <laughs> I mean, I had a tempo marking in one of my music that was saying um, sluggish like wet fur. 
And this was a tempo marking. Like this was next to the metronome marking. So so sometimes in music we get um, tempo markings, which tell you a number of how fast or slow to play. But then also an energy or some kind of direction, either in English or Italian or French or German, whatever. And um, yeah, this one said sluggish like wet fur. And it's like, I'm not sure what that means. You know, there's a translation aspect to creativity and art where you also have to be understood. If no one understands you, you probably missed the mark a little bit. Um, certainly, if everyone understands you, you've probably missed the mark a little bit too, right? There's a weird... Sure, like, yeah. W- like, do, when you compose, do you think of your audience or do you try to just think of, you know... Like you said when you did the competition that thinking about what these people wanted to hear and copying the style of the HBO soundtrack and, and all of that, you wanted to avoid that, so you found a genuinely creative solution, not something influenced by what would make me win or what would this person like or what would that kind of audience like? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I was definitely trying to come up with something original, but still kind of work within the confines of what the picture was depicting. And... Uh, that's probably a better way to say that. But, you know, um, <laughs> like you can't just ignore what's happening on the screen. And, you know, some of the best film music, you don't necessarily realize that it's there, right? That it's, you know, until right. it's gone. Like it is, it's enhancing the scene in a way. Uh, and I, I think, you know, a lot of people who uh, are kind of movie critics or people who enjoy watching movies, sometimes they forget about how amazing the music is because the music is amazing like you know it, it is kind of infected into what the yeah. whole picture is and we just and watched lord of the rings great. last night um, awesome the fellowship of the ring and it's been a, a long while since i've seen that movie and um yeah they just really i think was it howard shore that wrote that i think yes um, he yes. really captured an essence to that matched up with not only the content, but just the style of how it was filmed and the the big shots and, and all of these things. When it works, it really works, you know? And imagine watching Lord of the Rings without the music. It would not work. Right. <laughs> like Absolutely. at all. Yeah. It wouldn't come close to yeah. working. Um, so yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the um, the uh, music you've made or the the sampling or looping or anything like that? Uh, well, I do have a new track that's coming out this Friday, which is the 31st um, of, of July. So if people are interested. So that'll be out by the time this episode comes out. So I can I can link that track then. If you awesome. send it to okay. me, I'll put Excellent. it in the episode notes. Um, yeah, that's the track I did with my brother. Uh, well, thanks so much. And I, I've really enjoyed uh, chatting with you guys. And I, I think um, I think your podcast is a great thing for the world right now. I, I think, you know, we're all kind of being introspective right now and, and, and thinking about who we are, even though we're all, I, I, everybody's going through something right now and there's no denying that. But I think it is the, the good part about it is that we can all kind of look in and, and, and chat like this and talk about right. what we're doing. And I think that's a great thing. And adapt to it and connect and stuff. Don't, we have bonus questions though. So don't, don't, uh, don't uh, okay. hit stop too fast here. All right. <laughs> so if you had like a short piece of advice for a young music student, let's say just about to embark on, undergrad think you know going in the performance area or maybe starting their masters or something something we did years ago um what what might that you know advice be 
Um, well, I think, you know, if you're considering getting a degree in music, I would consider uh, what you love most about music and what really attracts you to music so much, because it might not be the most obvious thing. You know, uh, a, a lot of people have certain careers in music that they almost fell into by accident. And uh, a part of the reason for that is like we... we, we you know, it's hard to have that bird's eye view of what we want to do. So I, I think find what inspires you most, whether it's a technology aspect of music or playing a certain style of music or doing live production, any of those things like there's paths that you can take in school or even if you don't choose to major in music, like there's things you can do to develop those skills. So, you know, th there will be jobs there that might not exist even now. Yeah. So don't, don't uh, corner yourself too much, right? Don't, absolutely. Don't, yeah. Don't um, be like, oh, this is the path someone else put me on and, and I must take it. But yeah, be very open. And then when you find something that's interesting, d you're going to lose time as you get older. Coronavirus situation aside, you won't have as much time to explore learning a new language, getting good at chess or something in music specific. Like while you have the time, just explore things and build skills because you never know when when you'll use it in the future. Yeah, I agree with Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah, totally agree. So, what's a movie that you think everyone should see, and why do you think they should see it? Well, you know, a movie that's been on my mind recently just for the music is Blade Runner, uh, and I I really love the soundtrack to that, mostly because it was one of the first movies that used that much. Uh, synthesized sound you know it's basically mm -hmm. just Vangelis right he, like he he basically did the whole score with a Moog and like it, it's really cool um, I, I think it like you know it, it might seem less interesting now seeing the music that people have done but musically I, I think everybody should see that movie just for that reason oh interesting I, I don't know if I've seen it. I've, I certainly have seen scenes from it, but I don't know yeah. if I've sat down and, and watched the whole thing. There was like a new... Yeah, if you listen to that on a nice sound system, it, it, it's really amazing. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Oh, Nice. I'm not, I'm not super familiar with it either, but... I think I've seen it in hotel rooms, like here and there kind of vibe, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I've not really traditionally been a sci-fi movie watcher, but that movie really caught me, so... Okay, uh -huh. cool. Uh, when you look to the future, what's something you're most worried about? And then on the flip side, what are you most excited about? You can interpret that either personally or or larger scale. Um, well, you know, I think uh, in terms of musicians and artists, I, I think right now it's very tempting to just be depressed and mm -hmm. to not see hope for us, you know, being able to perform for people again. But I, I think it's a good time to um, get excited about the things we can do in the future that no one's thought of yet. And mm. um, what gave me a lot of hope, it was watching um, a 2018 concert that Paul McCartney gave at um, Grand Central Station. It's on YouTube. I think it's like an hour, hour and a half. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. The production quality is really amazing. And um, what, what made me most excited about the future by seeing that was to see how he interacts with the audience. And not to say that he's the only musician that does that, but, you know, um, it gave me hope to see that right now it's impossible to interact in real life with an audience. You know, we're doing everything through screens and headphones and things. And I think let's all collectively think as people, not just musicians, like how can we um, kind of 
form a better community after this? And, and, and how can we connect with people in, in different events and different art forms more after this? Let, let, let's yeah. kind of team together and, and think of some ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like the, the concept of um, there's the known unknown and then there's the unknown unknown. Like, so there, there are things we know we could do in terms of like the future and art and music. And then there are the things no one's ever thought of yet. And that's pretty exciting. I mean, imagine trying to explain to somebody from, you know, the 1980s, what a podcast is, you know, th that would be an unknown unknown, right? Right. Like right. what's an MP3, you know, like what, yeah. what, what's file hosting, <laughs> you know, like any of that stuff. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I think that about does it, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, oh, this any... is uh, a lot of fun talking with you guys. I really yeah, it was good this. to catch yeah, up too. Do you have any uh, websites or social media things you want to plug before we? Um, well, it? you can uh, find me on my website. It's johnthomasburson.com. Uh, but my music is on uh, all the streaming platforms. I I just recently started getting on the streaming platforms, so uh, you can see more and more from me on Spotify and YouTube Music and Amazon Music, all those. And then just YouTube, I have some videos there and some educational videos there on YouTube that I hope to add to in the near future. So oh, cool, yeah, and definitely let me know about that. Um the, the trumpet teaching stuff, I'll, I'll definitely check it out and see, try to guinea pig use it on, on my students and let you know how it goes. Absolutely. Well, sounds good. All right. Sounds thanks, good. man. Uh, thank you, guys. Talk soon. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.